Hey, good morning, everyone. My name's Ben. Welcome to Four Corners Church. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey, we're going to continue our message series called Check Yourself. That's what that slide right there is telling us. And we're in the third week of that where we're going to look at a very basic question around money. And not money I want from you, <laughs> not at all. We're going to talk about your money and why you do what you do with your money. That's what, the question I want to get you to ponder. Before we jump into it too quickly, I want to ask you um, a couple of questions for you to just kind of ponder in your head for just a second, see if you can come up with the answers. Do you know what's coming up on February 8th? February 8th. Now, if you said the Super Bowl, you're a week off. That's February 1st. February 3rd happens to be my birthday. Don't forget that. But on February 8th, February 8th, we're kicking off a brand new message series called Love and Respect in a Fifty Shades World. Love and Respect in a Fifty Shades World. It's going to be great. You don't want to miss it. We're also kicking off our small group spring session, and we're asking many, many people to get involved in that, to do uh, a small group study, a Bible study, read a book or whatever. And uh, the primary book we're going to be focusing around is the book Love and Respect. And next Sunday, when you come up to church, we'll have a handful of those available in the lobby for you if you want to get them. All right? So right now, what I want to get you to do, though, is just turn your attention to God's Word for just a second. If you have your Bible and you want to go ahead and turn there, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in a few moments, we're going to get there. All right? Now, let let me ask you a basic question. Why do you do what you do with your money? Why do you do what you do with your money? So forget what I want you to do. Don't just think about what you do. I'm asking the question that, become, that comes before what you do with your money. I'm asking the question of why do you do what you do with your money? See, see the, here, here's, here's the, the important issue for us to consider. The important issue for us to consider is the motivation behind what we're doing. I've challenged you this way already in this message series. I've asked you to think about intentionality and owning your own responses to what people do and creating the environment in which you want to live. I've asked you to take responsibility all through this message series already. We're going to do that again with money today and ask you to take responsibility with your money. See, here's what I believe. I believe that all of life is a gift from God. Everything that you have, all of your history, the good and and even, even the bad, God uses as a gift in our life. He gives it to us to enjoy, to benefit from, to grow through, to do something with. Because it's a gift, we have the responsibility then to live our lives. The biblical word is is a steward or as a manager. And long before I want to take you to what you're doing, I want you to think about why do you do what you do? Why do you spend the way you do? Why do you save the way you do? Why do you earn money the way you do? Why do you give some of it away the way you do? Now that idea of giving some away, the kind of thing you might expect a church to talk about, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but I don't want to encourage you to do any more than you're already doing. I just want you to ponder for a few moments, why do you do what you do with money? This week I had a very interesting thing happen as a dad. Um, it's not all the time that you get really great feedback from your kids, uh, or about your kids, rather. And so when you do, that's a very nice thing to do. And so this week, I noticed uh, as we were working in our kind of Monday through Thursday office life here at the church, 
that my son, my, my oldest son, had put $20 in the offering last week. So that little note came across my desk, and I just, I like, smiled really, really, really big because, you know, he's 15. To have 20 bucks in your pocket and to give that away is kind of a big deal. And it made me stop and ask, why would he do that? Why would he do that? And when we started this church a long time ago, we started not to just serve ourselves, although we wanted a cool and nice and enjoyable place to go where we could be challenged with God's word. We started this church to make a difference. We had this crazy idea that we could come together and impact our world. And we didn't think that we had it all together or that we had so much goodness in our life that we could just, out of the abundance of our goodness, offer it to the world. We weren't arrogant, but we thought we would put our hope in God and see what God would do with our effort. What would God do with what we offered him? What could God do with that? It's a similar kind of mentality that I started with a few moments ago when I said, that all of life is a gift, and everything you and I have is a gift from God. And because it is, we're supposed to manage it, steward it well. What could God do with your life? What could God do with a group of people who came together to start a church? What could God do with your money, yours, that he's blessed you with? What could he really do with that? Have, have you stopped to ask yourself, what could my money accomplish? Around here, kind of the handful of ways we talk about that is, is money can meet your needs. That, that's very important. Money can satisfy some of your wants. It probably shouldn't satisfy all of your wants. But most of all, money can fund a kingdom dream, a kingdom of God dream, a God-oriented dream. That's what money can do. There's a lot that can happen with your money. See, now, the world tells us all the time to get all that you can and hold tightly to it. But what does God say? So one more time, why do you do what you do with your money? See, there's pressure internally and externally to hold on to all of our stuff. That pressure is real. But the biblical values, as they often do, goes against the world's values. The biblical values goes against our own fears and egos and causes us to ask that question, why am I doing what I do? Why am I doing what I do with money, with my life, with the stuff God's blessed me with, with my relationships? Now, biblically speaking, where we place our hope and trust is a pretty good indicator of our spiritual lives. Every Sunday, if you're a regular around here, you hear me kind of step forward on the stage and I say, I want to give people a chance, give you in this room a chance to put your hope and trust in Jesus, your faith and trust in him. Because that intentionality around a choosing to put my trust in Jesus moves us forward, moves those people who do that forward spiritually. But today, I want to give you a chance to think about what you do with your money and why you do with your money the reason you do it in hopes that we can take a step forward spiritually with our money. So it's gotten me to a, an interesting point of, of introspection about why do Jill and I give? Why do we save? Why do we spend? Why do we do what we do? 
And I thought rather than like encouraging you to give some money today, I'd take just a couple moments and talk about some of the ways, or some of the reasons rather, why Jill and I have made it a habit to give. And, and, and there's a couple of words that have consistently come up as I've looked at the scriptures this handful of days previous. We come to money, Jill and I do, willing. And when we come willing, God makes us able. I want to take you on a little bit of a journey through some scriptures and some motivation about what's going on in our minds as we think about what we want to do with our money, why we do what we do. So we come to our life, including money, willing, willing to be used by God. And there's a couple passages that have shaped the way we think and contemplate money. And the first one is 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's the one I asked you to go to earlier. This is a letter written not to a group of people, but to one guy, a pastor. These are Paul's words, who was his spiritual mentor and kind of guide through his leadership, through Timothy's leadership. And these are Paul's words to Timothy about what to do with the subject of money. So Paul tells Timothy these words. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. So Jill and I come to a passage like this, and the first thing we get out of that is, is well, are we rich? Now you ask my kids, they'll tell you no. We're not rich. Sometimes the kids they go to school with are rich, or sometimes the people they hang around with church, but my kids don't think we're rich because they don't get everything they want. But that's not really a good judgment measure of whether or not we're rich. It's interesting that if you make $33,000 a year as an individual, you're in the top 1% in the world. If you make $44,000 a year as a household, you're in the top 1% in the world. So by the world's standards, Jill and I are, are rich. And this passage tells us that we would be arrogant to put our hope in wealth. And here's why, because wealth is so uncertain. Instead, put their hope in God. Paul tells Timothy to tell rich people, maybe top one percenters in the world, put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So there's another piece of the money conundrum. Are we rich? Well, according to world standards, yes. If we are, don't put your hope in money. That's where you're going to want to do that, but don't do it. Jill and I wrestle with this. The other part is, is that God gave us the money for our enjoyment. That's going to inform what we do with our money as we think about what we want to do and why we're doing it. And then Paul tells Timothy, command these people, these rich people, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way, they'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul is warning Timothy here to remind people who have more stuff than other people have, have more income than others, that there's a way to use money to really grab hold of life, and there's a way to use money and actually lose life. And that passage troubles me in a good way. It stirs me, gets me thinking about the deeper issues behind the money. What do you want to do with your money that God has blessed you with? Why are you doing what you already do, and what do you want to do? Do you want to come to the end of this year in a different place than you came to the end of 2014? Well, if you do, and I hope you do, I hope you're growing and developing, even in something like personal finances, 
Let's take a little trip through a handful more passages and a few biblical values and see what God's wisdom on the subject of the money he's blessed you with is. When we started this church, it had a significant impact on our, our money dynamic. Jill and I went all in. We leveraged everything we had. I remember standing in front of a group of people in a high school lobby where we were meeting, before we ever held our first service at the Ray Theater 10 years ago. We were meeting at a high school where I used to teach, and we were sitting in the lobby with about 30, 40 people, and we were right on the verge of making our first Sunday morning plans, and we didn't have a building to meet in. So I remember standing on that Sunday night meeting saying, I'm going to go find us a place to meet. We're going to make sure we have a room for a couple hundred people, because come Easter, this was the the, the middle of the summer, come Easter, almost a year away, nine months away, we want to have room for at least 200 people. And we went out, and I never got so discouraged so quickly in all of my life trying to find a place, because we could find places, but they were incredibly expensive. And then somebody threw out the idea, maybe we should go look at the new theater there at Union Center. That sounded like a great idea. And we walked in there, and instantly I could just envision us in that place. I like to say that God spoke to my heart and said we should be there. I don't know that he did or if I was just overcome with the newness of the whole place. And we finally got a meeting with the manager, and the manager said, yeah, we'd love to have you. It'll be $700 a week to meet here. Now, what, what you don't understand is that right now in the budget of this church, $700 is nothing. But back then, when there was 30 people, we had nothing, literally. We weren't even taking an offering. We just said, look, if you feel like giving, give something. And on that next Sunday night, I stood in front of everybody and I said, I think we have our place. We're going to try to meet at the Rave Theater. Oh, by the way, we can't afford it. What do you guys want to do? And Jill and I made a decision that week that with a handful of people, we would leverage our money. Jill and I would guarantee the rent for one year on, with our house. Now, the good news is we didn't have to leverage our house, but at that moment, we were asking some very serious questions about what we were going to do with our money and why would we do it. Not a bad process to go through. It was a time of growth for us personally, stretched us dramatically, caused us to get down to the bedrock of what we really wanted out of life. And that's what I want you to consider right now. What do you really want out of life with your money? Do you just want your needs met? For some of you, that would probably sound like a blessing right now. Are the things you want? And what is the nature of the things you want to have happen with your money? What do you really want to do? So I come to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, just another verse in kind of our journey today. Paul's writing again, and he says that there's a spiritual dynamic that can kick in, in life, in money. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 2, 13. God is working in you to make you willing and able to obey him. Willing and able. There's the phrase that stuck out at me. Willing and able. Both the will, the motivation, and the able or the doing. The doing and the motivation. Here's why I'm appealing to your why today. Because if the why isn't there, if you haven't thought through it, maybe you shouldn't do it. I asked my sons who wanted a new Xbox, the new one. They wanted to pool their money together and go buy one because we weren't going to buy it for them. And they already have a perfectly good working 
video machine, and it's, uh, you know, f- only five, six, seven years old. And so um, they, you know, why do you want it? Why do you want it? Tried to press them on, why do you want it? I'm appealing to your why today because I think that if you'll take a few moments today over this next week and think about why with your money, getting behind just managing it and manipulating it and moving it or adjusting it or paying bills, getting behind that a little bit, I think can give you some insight into what is really motivating you. And with that insight, you can leverage some intentionality to be in a different place by the end of the year. I think I've discovered that when you lose your why, you tend to lose your way. When you lose your why, you tend to lose your way. Every once in a while, it's good for me to stop and tell my wife why I love her. Every once in a while, it's good for me on a Tuesday after a Monday, which is after a Sunday, to stop and remember why we started this church. Every once in a while, it's important for us to remember that one of the reasons we started this church was so that we could invite our friends and neighbors to be with us on the journey. We didn't want to do it alone. We wanted to create a place that no matter where a person was coming from, they could come here and be loved and accepted. The why keeps us moving. And it could be that perhaps some of the reasons why you're struggling, not getting where you want to get to with your money that God's blessed you with, is you haven't stopped to think about why you're doing what you're doing. One of the most famous Old Testament writers, or or, or historical figures rather, he didn't write a book, but a lot was written about him, was a gentleman by the name of David. You might know him through the David and Goliath story, or King David. Well, when David was king, God had moved on David to build God a temple, the first church building. Up to this point, they were a mobile church. They met in a tent. They had set up and tear down issues. We know what that's like in this church. They had a mobile tent that they would literally pack up and go and carry it with them. But now that they were in their homeland, they were going to build a building. And David begins to process the cost that it's going to take. And he knows it's going to cost a lot of money. And David, as a leader at this point in his life, following God aggressively, he gets behind the issue, not just the dollars and cents, but he gets behind the money. And he starts thinking about what he wants his legacy to be. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3, he writes these words. Moreover, because I have set my affections on the house of God, he wanted to build this place. He was tired of the set up and tear down. Because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. My own special treasure of gold and silver. And then he says, now who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? There's that word willing again, willing and able, willing and able. David says, because I love the church, I wanted to do it. I'm going to go above and beyond, and I'm going to give an offering. And then he describes the offering, you can read it. It's, it's almost unfathomable, unfathomable the amount of money that David gave him as personal treasury. In today's dollars, it was billion worth of gold and silver David gave to this magnificent building that he wanted to build. Then he looks and he says, now who is willing? And so the officers and the tribal leaders and the family heads, they gave willing following and the people rejoiced to give. They gave willingly. David said that he had given all this stuff willingly. 
There's that word over and over again, willingly give. As if it was their highest joy. It wasn't a have to, it was a get to situation. What would motivate a person to do that? To give that kind of money away? David says, I set my affection on the house of the Lord. Here's something that you should discover about your money. That whatever has your affection, your money tends to go there. And wherever you put your money, your affections tend to go there. Jesus said it this way, that where your treasure is, there is your heart also. That idea of where your treasure is and your heart goes there, or where your heart is, your treasure tends to follow... That's getting to the question of what's going on in here as you think about your money. There's no reason why, or there's no surprise why, the number one thing most married couples fight about is money. There's a spiritual dynamic, a very much in here thing that goes on with our money. And I think Sometimes the enemy of our soul and the enemy of our families does an incredible job taking something that is meant to be leveraged to meet our needs, leveraged to fulfill some of our wants, and leveraged to do something awesome with. A kingdom dream, to fund a dream, a kingdom-motivating, generosity-oriented, people-changing thing that God does. There's no surprise that the enemy takes that and uses it to create major conflict in the family. When was the last time you had a conversation with your spouse about why you're doing what you do with your money? Not just where is it going to go, but why are we doing this? Have you taken time to get on the same page about that? Well, that word willingly that keeps cropping up, That God can make us willing and able. David was willing. I just took that word and I followed it through for a little bit. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul again writing and he says, For if the willingness is there, then the gift is acceptable. If the willingness is there. There's this principle that when it comes to money, especially money and God stuff, not compulsion, not because you have to, but because you want to. Not because you're being forced, not because you're being coerced or manipulated, but because you want to. So here it is again. What do you want to do with your money? This year, differently than last year. Where do you really want to be and why do you want to be there? A few years ago, we did a sermon series on contentment. And I discovered there's really two ways to be content with what you have. One is to want less stuff, and in wanting less, you can be content. And then the other way, the other way you can be content as opposed to just simply wanting less is to truly look at what you have and say, that's enough. I've got enough. So why in your family, the question Jill and I have had to ask, especially at times of significantly leveraging money for, in, in our case, a vacation, for our church, or other financial goals we have, why are we doing it? What's compelling us? Why do we give? Why do we save the way we do? Why do we spend the way we do? What's really going on? One of the most important questions you can ask yourself this January to make sure that December ends up in a different place is really what is going on in your head and your heart with your money that God's blessed you with? 
God makes us willing, and if we're willing, then the gift is acceptable. But God is also there to make us able, able to do it. God puts these things in our hearts. It's totally legitimate for you to want to meet your needs. It's totally legitimate for you to want to enjoy your money beyond your needs and meet some of your wants. And it's totally legitimate to come to a point of saying, I'm not satisfied with just my needs being met and some of my wants. I want to do something profound with my money. I want to bless my kids a generation from now, their kids. So I'm going to pay for college maybe. Develop my son, develop my daughter so that the quality of their life is high. I'm going to put some money back. I'm going to give to an organization, a hospital, a church. I'm going to help somebody in need. I want to make my money matter. God makes us willing and he moves on us. We get in touch with that. And then God makes us able. Let me, let me drill down for just like three minutes on why Jill and I leveraged so long ago when we started this church to make, to make it happen. Why it's important for us to be significant givers in the life of this church. It's not because we're under compulsion. It's because we want to. It's a part of what we want our money to do in our lives. Of course we want to feed our kids. And we like to travel. That's a big deal to us. Much more important than having the biggest house or the newest cars. So we do our needs, we do some of our wants, but what we really want our money to do is to go a long way to helping people connect with Jesus. So these are, these are my reasons. I would like you to take time to think about your reasons for what you do. Here's reasons why Jill and I give. I think the first one, and I, this is maybe not for you, it's just ours. We do it because it's a matter of obedience for us. And that's not because I have to. It's just as a follower of Jesus, Jesus says we should, so we do. And for me, it started a long time ago. On the way to church when I was a kid, my dad would hand each of us a dollar and he would say, this is for the offering. And so I learned early on that you go with an offering. I was taught that as a Jesus follower, you read, you pray, you go to church, and you give. That's just what you do. And so for me, it's just a part of the deal. So obedience is a part of our reason. It's the why. Here's the other one, though, that's much more exciting to talk about. For us, it's joy. It's a joy to give. We we give because, because we like to see the impact our giving makes. There's a couple of restaurants in the area that I frequent. I'm trying to not just bounce around to all the places, but go to a place where I know I can get a relatively healthy meal. And believe it or not, one of my favorite places lately is Waffle House because you can get a couple eggs there and you know on my diet that's working and I had to get back on my diet because through the Christmas I kind of ballooned up a little bit and but I go there and I get to know the waitresses and um, I love giving big tips like you know not just 15 or 20 percent but but more because I love watching that smile on their face for me it's a joy to do that I love to leverage my money to bless somebody else and often there's a story in those lives and getting to know those people a little bit. It's like on occasion when I'll, in the summer, stop at a lemonade stand. My kids will sometimes do that on the corner. They'll make a lemonade stand. And sometimes even when it's my own kid, I'll drive by and like not even look because, you know, they're all like, stop here for lemonade. And I just kind of drive on by. But one of the things that's really cool to do is to like pull up and ask for a lemonade. And you, you've, you've seen this. They make that lemonade and 
They pull the cup out and they got their finger in it and they're pouring into their fingers in the lemonade and like it's 25 cents, but then you give them a dollar. It's a joy to leverage some of what God's blessed me with to bring a smile to somebody else's face. It's obedience, it's a joy. This one may not make any sense to you at all, but it's a big deal to us. Jill and I feel like we do life in covenant with other people. That word covenant, you might have heard about it at marriage when you make an intentional decision to come together. And we know that we can't give to everyone. We can't support everything. But we can pour our heart and soul into a few things. And we can't do life with everyone, but we can lock arms with a few. And together we can make a difference. That's how this church started. We would all agree that Sunday night when I said we could do the raid but we can't afford it, we would all agree on that Sunday night and over the next seven days that we would pray about what we were going to give. And people came back with little pieces of paper the next week and said, we think this year we can give this amount of money. And I sat down after that meeting and added it all up and we were just barely enough across the line. We locked arms together. And the reason I gave faithfully that year, even when things were tough, was because I was in covenant with these people. And my money was making a difference, not just in my lives and theirs, and not just in ours together, but in what we were trying to do together. And so, yeah, it's obedience for me. And it's an incredible thrill and joy, but we're in covenant together. But there's another reason. It's because I have a vision for something more than just me. See, this is where your money really begins to bring real satisfaction to your life. When you can give to something bigger than you, more than just the next TV, and I like electronics and stuff. I can't go in Costco anymore because I can't get out of the first couple aisles. It's, it's a sin that they put the TVs, the nicest ones, right there on the end aisles. Because I just stop and I have like electronic lust right there. And I, I want to spend and spend and I don't need another TV, but I want one. Even now, talking about it, we're, we'll go today and take a look. <laughs> but what I get to do is I get to have a vision for something beyond me. My hope is you come to the end of 2015 and you're meeting your needs and some of your wants, but you're asking yourself, how can I do something significant with the money God's blessed me with? And maybe you're thinking, I don't have a lot. All right, fine. But what could you do? So I like, I like thought about what this church has done. How that for the last few years, we give a portion to India. How that years ago, we built freshwater wells in Uganda that are still pumping water five years later, giving clean, healthy water to entire communities. If you're around in the early days, you know that we built a hospital in Africa. We blessed Zion Global Church and spent a couple hundred thousand dollars on that building that they were letting us use over the course of four years. And now that's still a ministry center ministering to this community. And for Jill and I, we give significantly to a church that helps people in North Cincinnati have their best opportunity to become fully developing followers of Jesus. And our money goes so much further towards things that really matter to us. It was frustrating to us the first several years of our ministry to come to the end of the year, look at all the money that had come in and out, and think, well, what did we do with it? There's a fifth reason, and I don't want to overstate it, but God blesses us when we give. Now, we don't give to get a blessing, and you can get weird with this real quick. But God's word is true, and he says that if you give, he'll bless you. 
that when you give, you position yourself for blessing and protection. And the final reason that, that we give is we want to be an example. I like sitting down with my kids at the end of the year when we get our giving statement from Four Corners, and you probably got those this week, and saying, here's what mom and dad gave this year. This is what this family did this year. And I want to build that into them. I want them to know that money is there to do more than just meet their needs and some of their wants and buy electronics and TVs and video games. No, you can do something powerful with your money. And that's where the real joy is. If you're willing. And if you'll ask the deeper questions. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And what do I really want to do with my money? You should have this conversation with your spouse if you're married this week. What do we really want to do with our money? God makes us able. We can raise a generation of spontaneous, joyful givers. That's what I want for my kids. I don't want them held captive by greed and stuff, stingy. So I read a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. It gets overused, but here it is in the Word of God. Let's just take it at face value for just a second. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your own heart to give. There it is, that willing thing again. Not under compulsion, not because you're guilted, not because the emotion, not because the video moves you to tears, but because you want to. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then if you do that, you'll be made rich in every way. Rich in every way. Not just rich in dollars, rich in every way. So that you can, can be generous on every occasion. And then through us, through this partnership Paul was talking about to this church, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And it just hits me that the God who has even more than he's already blessed me with can bless me with everything he wants to give me as long as I'm willing to be a blessing to others. And it makes me then want to be intentional in my giving, intentional in my spending, intentional in my saving. So that I come to the end of the year and we may not have done all that we wanted to do, but we got close. We got close in our spending. We got close in our saving. We got close in our long-term saving. And we got close in our giving. See, I think intentional giving for me, and listen, if you don't want to do it to this church, I, I, do whatever you want, but make your money do more than just satisfy you on temporary things. Make it do more than just meet your needs. Make it go places where you have value and where you see things are important that are being done. One day, Jesus sat a chair right next to the offering bins in the temple. And people came and they were dropping their coins, their metal coins into a metal receptacle and they were clanging and very rich people put a lot of money in. But God wasn't looking at the zeros. He was looking at the heart. And the capacity of a person compared to their giving. So in Mark chapter 12, Jesus uses these words. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you, this poor widow that he had just seen, who dropped two small coins, 
as opposed to the rich people who had put a lot, has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. And so what happens here for Jesus is, is he doesn't look at the amount. He looks at what he's blessed us with and then what we do with it. It wasn't the amount of zeros behind the giving of the richer people. It was the amount that the poor widow gave because she gave not just out of her abundance, she willingly gave. It's interesting, she had two coins. She could have just dropped one. But willingly, and it brought a smile to the face of God. It became a lesson for us. So for Jill and I, intentionally giving, making our money go where we want it to go. Here's another way we think about it. Percentage giving. That as our income goes up, we don't want to just stay flat. We want our giving to go up. So if we set a general base level percentage, that's a guaranteed way for that to happen. And we, we pull our, from, for us, we pull from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. It's a passage I shared a few weeks ago. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. There's that percentage. As your income goes up, money goes up. As income goes down, money goes down. Save it up so that when Paul and the other followers of Jesus' leaders come, they don't have to take up a collection and get you to give in that moment because you've already got it stored up ready to give. And so intentionally giving is a value for us. And percentage giving. Here's another way that we think about it. I just want to challenge you with. We try to think about the eternal impact that happens in our giving. The eternal impact that can happen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it into light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man, woman, person's work. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. This passage is trying to get to the idea that you can use money in such a way that it only goes to temporary things. Or you can use money in a way that it literally has an eternal impact. So this church gives away a lot of food. We give away money to people that don't have it, not in a direct way, but through things like counseling and providing them services and paying for things they can't pay for. If you're a part of this congregation, your giving has had a significant impact. But we don't just give stuff away. We give Jesus we believe that if we feed a person who is hungry, that's like the appetizer to the real meal, which is found in Jesus. And so for Jill and I, making an eternal impact with our giving, and while our dollars won't match some of yours, we know that when we give, we're not giving to something that's going to be burnt away like hay or straw. It's not going to rust or corrupt we're literally storing up in heaven impact for God's kingdom and for the glory of Jesus and the life of people. It's very simple for us that God has blessed us with more than we need so that we can make a difference in the life of others. So we got our giving statement this week from Four Corners and I opened it up and looked at it there. In addition to the stuff there, there's all the incidental stuff that we've done, not, it, not indicated in that little receipt. And I was able to just show it to my kids. This is what our family has done with our money. And you know what we did? We started thinking about how we'd like to do more. Not, 
I don't tell you that in some kind of reverse psychology motivation. I want for you to have the joy that Jill and I are just fully beginning to explore. That our money works for us. We don't work for our money. Our money works for us. It meets our needs, some of our wants, but most of all, we send our money to what's important to us. And in that, there is significant joy. And so between now and February or so, you're going to get your your statement from your employer. You're going to get other giving receipts that you've got. I ask you to take that stuff, put it on the table, and ask yourself, why did we do what we did? And what do we want to do different this year? How do we want to save more? How do we want to manage our spending? And what do we want to give to things that really matter to us? And if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd ask you this. What could you give to that warms the heart of God that will make an eternal impact? And that way, I think, you're beginning to get to a very serious and important answer to the question, why do you do what you do with your money? And for me, it brings deep satisfaction and joy to know that with something as temporary and often a a, a thing that brings pain and discord and stress to a lot of people, I can use that very thing and use it to bless encourage and change people's lives and you can too so with that said let's grab out our connect cards and take a few steps together as a congregation every week i give you a chance to take next step a which says i'm going to commit my life to jesus i'm making jesus my savior and lord you you know you know the real secret behind a generous life It comes from modeling what our Heavenly Father did for us. He sent His one and only Son, the greatest gift He could give to the people He loved the most, which is us. If you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus through His Son, or to the Father through His Son, Jesus, I want to ask you to consider acknowledging what the Bible says about you, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And to do what Paul wrote in Romans, that you confess, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Invite Him in. To cover all your sin, that makes him your savior. And to lead your life, that makes him your Lord. And we'd ask you to check next step A right there. When the offering buckets come by, at the end of our service, you drop the card in there and we'll communicate with you about that this week. I'm also in just a moment going to pray and you can use my words or use your own and ask God to do just that. Come into your life, lead it. How about next step B? Today, I'm choosing to be baptized. I'm choosing to be baptized. If you have questions about baptism or you've committed your life to Christ, haven't been baptized, check it. We'll communicate with you. We'll let you know what that's all about. And in a few weeks, we'll celebrate together that awesome thing. Here's next step C that I'm praying for our church, for you, for my family. I'm going to ask you to check the box and pray it with me each morning this week. I'll send it to you very soon in an email. It says, God, you've blessed me with more than I need. I'm coming to you willing. Make me able. God, you bless me with more than I need. I'm coming to you willing. Make me able. Here's next step D. Hey, Ben, I'll join with you. I'll join with the staff, join with the ministry team, and I'll pray for and invite to our love and respect in a Fifty Shades World message series. You're going to pray for us that God will do the work he wants to do. Listen, we're jumping into the deep end with this subject. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. I'm going to start praying now. Join us with that. Check the box. Let me send you a few ways to pray for us. And then start thinking about who you can invite to be with you on February 8th. Invite them to come be here. And we'll have a couple awkward moments. 
And then, you know, it'll, it'll be edgy just a bit because of the topic. But at the end of the day, we're going to point people towards Jesus and the freedom and the liberty he offers. All right, and the next step, he says, hey, I'll pray about and consider leading a 4C small group. Maybe one of those love and respect groups. We'll give you the tools you need or we'll help you find another group because in a couple of weeks, we're going to put those catalogs on the seats where people can join a small group. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you make us willing and you make us able. God, I pray for myself and for our congregation here that we bend our hearts towards you with everything that we have, all of the life that you have blessed us with, we bend it towards you. Whatever you want to do with it, Jesus, we say yes. God, make us able, bold, to walk out what you put in our hearts. God, I'm praying for true financial freedom here, where money doesn't have a grip on our hearts, where we use it to meet our needs, some of our wants, but most of all, God, we use it to make a difference in this world. God, whether we have a lot or a little, we pray you'd help us leverage it for your glory and for the betterment of your people. God, I pray for each person in this room who's declaring right now, Jesus, be my Savior. I give my life to you. God, this year, help this church to leverage all that's given to us for unbelievable, significant kingdom impact, eternal differences in the lives of people right here in North Cincinnati. We pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.